welcome to Bossy, Brilliant, and Badass, a weekly conversation about business, careers, and personal development designed to inspire, educate, and motivate you, and sometimes ourselves, to show up powerfully, live fearlessly, and to find and unleash your inner badass. I'm Lisa Lindsay. I'm Liz Green. Welcome to the show. Hey folks, welcome back. This week we're talking all about the money and the top five mistakes that entrepreneurs make when they're first starting out. So let's get right into our episode with Shannon Weinstein. Bossy, Brilliant, and Badass is brought to you by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it is the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First of all, it's free, and we all know free is great. There's also a bunch of creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. Anchor will then distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can also make money from the podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. So welcome back, everybody. So today's episode is about the top five money mistakes new entrepreneurs make. And Lisa, I'm so excited about this episode because I don't know about you, but I know I have made a whole ton of mistakes along the way. I mean, uh, yeah. And on top of that, money is such an icky kind of topic, right? Like we get all freaked out about it. And I'm so surprised. Well, actually, I'm not surprised. It's taken us this long to get someone on to talk with us about money. (laughs) So I'm excited too. I think we've been kind of like putting it off. Yeah, we didn't want to. We didn't want to. Right. We just didn't want to. Um, But yeah, and also we kind of wanted to get the right person, right? And so I feel like um, we have found that. And her name, I'm so excited to have her on today. Her name is Shannon Weinstein. And she's a CPA and fitness professional based in Connecticut. And her company, Financial Solutions, provides tax and accounting services for small business owners specializing in online businesses. And she also offers educational workshops and coaching catered to new entrepreneurs. And before we kind of get into all of this and um, ask Shannon a you know a bunch of questions, um, we just wanted to add a little bit of a disclaimer. And so while Shannon is a qualified CPA, the information she provides in today's episode is intended to be educational in nature and does not represent individual tax or accounting advice. So please, guys, seek the assurance of a professional who understands your unique situation before implementing anything you learned today. So that being said, Shannon, welcome. Yeah, welcome. Yeah, thank you both so much for having me on. Awesome. Yeah. As you can tell, we're quite excited. So and and (laughs) nervous. So yes, and nervous. So, okay. So our topic is the top five money mistakes new entrepreneurs make. So um, why don't we go through these one by one? Um, Because I'm I'm so curious myself. So what would you say, Shannon, is the number one mistake new entrepreneurs make? 
Sure. So the first one that I always say actually kind of to me is the most impactful, and that is just ignoring finances altogether or avoiding them. Oh, so mm-hmm. kind of like what Liz and I have been doing. <laughs> <laughs> or just Acting right. like and, it doesn't and it goes exist. what you said, Lisa, um, and being nervous around numbers. Yeah. Right. So, so what, what would you say causes people to ignore? What are some of the underlying symptoms for people to take that action? I think everyone's situation is uniquely different. So there's a ton of different reasons why folks tend to uh, stray away from their numbers or they find them uncomfortable. And I think that a lot of it has to do with mindset and how we were brought up around money, really what messaging and what story we have around money that is rooted deep into even our childhood and, you know, when and if we ever learned any of these things in school. That makes sense, you know, and it's unique to the individual, obviously. Is there anything that you normally see for um, in terms of mindset? Like, is it... Um, just scarcity? Is it just how they feel? Is it just a, just a general fear? I mean, I know you did say there are several different reasons, but I'm just curious if there's one that you see over and over in your business. Right. The most common one I see is the narrative that I'm not good with numbers. I don't understand this stuff and therefore I never will is mm. the attitude. There's a lack of openness to learning this stuff new. They think that the time has passed to learn it. They're not good at it. And that is just a, uh, a fixed mindset, thinking that there's not the ability to uh, develop those skills or to learn something new at this point, that they have to settle for what they know about money. And then that's part of their identity, which it definitely is not. Right. Right, right. So how do you, because um, I know you're a coach as well, how do you kind of work around that? Or work with it, I guess, is more of an appropriate question. Yeah. And of course, this is something you don't solve overnight. This is definitely something that is carried with someone in what they do every single day. And I think that what's really important is to reframe a lot of conversations and sentences. So when I hear someone say, I'm not good at this, I actually tell them to stop and restate that to say, this is something I am working on. Mm. And and change the narrative, change the word choice and stop. Because every time you say it, your brain hears it and it becomes more like your truth. So I like to to reframe the conversation. I also like to put things in perspective and, you know, share how simple these things can be. Because I'm I'm kind of a teacher at heart. I've been an accounting tutor since I was in high school. So I love being able to explain these concepts in a very simple way using real life examples that make them way more approachable than the typical jargon you hear, you know, in the news. Okay. So number two, what do we have? So the second mistake, I like to call it not planning for your profit. And what I mean for that is uh, there's this concept of working backwards that I do with my clients. A lot of folks will ask me, how much should I be aiming to make? What should I be aiming to make for sales so that I can be comfortable, right? What should I be shooting for? What are my sales goals? Can you help me with my sales goals? And that is the last step in the process for me is the sales goal. I love to start with what is your you know, baseline expenses that you need to live off of personally? What is your monthly burn, I call it, that's going to happen regardless if you have a business or you don't, if you make any sales or you don't, what do you have to cover as the first step to be able to to either break even or to reach the goals that you want to with your savings along with those uh, 
monthly burn costs. So we start there. And then we go into how much do you want to make in excess of that and keep into your business? Because you should not be, you know, bleeding your bank account dry every single month in your business and, and moving it to your personal. You want to be able to reinvest back into your business and to, you know, hire out or invest in new solutions or technologies. You want to be able to be ready to take on those opportunities. So we want to build some buffer in for that. And then we work backwards through the operating costs of the business to figure out what do you need to make on the top line in order to make all of this happen. And I think people tend to talk in terms of the gross revenue number, which is the amount that you bring in total, Mm -hmm. right? So they'll say, I had a hundred K year, I had a 10 K month. That's the sales, but let's talk about what are we actually keeping out of that? And what does it look like in between? Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, So, and that's kind of hard to do sometimes, isn't it? I mean, I know for myself, um, oftentimes, like if I've had like a really great month or season, I'll say, oh, you know what, maybe, maybe I can afford that uh, (laughs) Louis Vuitton bag or whatever it is. And the truth is, is uh, no, I mean, it's, that's all about putting it back into the company and, um, and, you know, just knowing that that's not for those things. But how often do you find, Shannon, um, that to be the case with your, with your clients where they kind of spend in, a, in that way? Yeah, I think another symptom of it or another example is when folks manage from the bank account balance and they think cash is everything they have available to spend. Right. So this is a big one. So this is kind of how it manifests. When I say planning for profit, you got to be planning for all of the expenses, all the sales, all the, like you have to know your numbers and know what's coming down the pike because you may have a launch. Let's say you're selling an online course. You have a launch that you're going to do. That's going to be for a three month program. And you make 30 K in that launch. You feel on top of the world. You're like, this is amazing. I can go buy that bag. You know, (laughs) I can go and go on a trip. I can go reward myself and by all means do those things if you can. But what people don't realize is that money has to carry you through the next three months potentially. So you have to be able to plan ahead and know that that is what will carry you through based on the expenses that you already have that are going to happen regardless. Right. So you know what? I think you're making a very interesting point, which I think might uh, benefit from a little bit of reframing, right? So most of us, um, all of our life, that unless we start out our careers being entrepreneurs, we're used to working and collecting a steady paycheck and managing from that place, right? Because we know we're always getting this certain money in and that money is supposed to feed a certain amount of expenses. And then on top of that, when we're working and we're employed, our employer is taking out taxes, which I think I just want to bracket because I think taxes is a big issue that entrepreneurs don't plan for. Um, I know I've gotten caught in that (laughs) little web. You forget. Um, And you, you know, we're, we're used to managing from that place. And then we go into entrepreneurship trying to work with and manage from the same place as we were, as we did when we were employees, but that's no longer the case. We now have all these additional expenses on top of that, that didn't exist when we were employees that now exist. Is that like a good way for me to say it? Yeah. And I think the element you're bringing up, Lisa, that's such a good point is it's unpredictable. Right. So a lot less steady, a lot less 
autopilot you can operate on. Mm -hmm. Because for a while, if you're used to having the same job, you get the same amount every two weeks, you have the same expenses. And as long as that all lines up and you're good, it's kind of a set it and forget it. But when you're an entrepreneur, you have to be constantly in control of that. Mm -hmm. And you have to be able to manage the unpredictable income flows and out and outflows uh, for your business. And that's really where cash flow comes into play is understanding your cash flow, which is basically the rate at which money flows in and money flows out of your business and timing, because mm-hmm. the timing is everything. It's not as steady weekly, bi-weekly, monthly as you're used to when you're working for someone else. Right. Yeah. Yep. Um, when somebody else has to cut that check and they might take a week to manage their cash flow, <laughs> your cash flow gets hit because you're thinking, oh yeah, you know, I made this money. Um, we certainly can talk about how we can kind of try to force manage cash flow because that's something I see, especially working in with businesses versus individuals. But happy to happy to move on to to the next one. Sure. So uh, the next one I have is not separating your personal and business finances. Ooh. Go ahead, tell us about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sure. So you may have heard this is something that at least I preach all the time, and I know a lot of folks here that they should be doing, and a lot of people don't understand why, and that's why it can kind of slip through the cracks. So here's why you want to separate your business and personal, and here's how to do it too. So when you create a business, and by the way, a lot of folks say they haven't done this. One of the um, reasons I hear that they haven't done this is I'm not a legitimate business yet, Yeah. right? Let's bust the myth a little bit about what a legitimate business is before I dive into separating. And a legitimate business is when you offer a product or service in exchange for money from a customer, period. That's a business. As soon as you have a customer, you have a product to sell and you're making money, you're a business. You don't have to go declare it at the mountaintop. You don't have to go to the uh, IRS. You don't have to go to the Secretary of State and file an LLC to be in business. You just are in business the moment you decide you want to be. And that it's a very low barrier. It really is. But a lot of folks are held back from taking their business seriously and think it's just for fun. But in reality, as long as you are earning any income off of that, you should be keeping track of it and you should be keeping that separated from your personal as much as possible when you're starting out so that you don't end up having to untie a big knot, you know, come tax time. Yeah, that's such a critical point that you're making, I think, is that, you know, it goes a little bit back to mindset. Don't you think, Liz, in terms of how we think about whether we're in business or not and all the things that we think we have to do in order to make sure we're in business. And it starts with the little things like the logo and, you know, getting a website domain and and thinking that having all of those things in place means that we are in fact in business. But what you're saying from the IRS's perspective at minimum, you're in business the first time someone hands over cash for you to deliver a product or a service. End of sentence. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, don't, you know, we can't listen to people like Mr. Wonderful on Shark Tank. That says, oh, that's not a business, that's a hobby. Right. You hear that over and over and over again. But yeah, I mean, I agree that that is mindset and it's the truth. You know, you are in business once the transaction takes place. Absolutely. Right. And from the get go, as soon as you start earning some money, you should be setting up a different place for that money to go and be kept track of and have um, tracking for uh, within a different bank account. And one of the other myths I hear is, well, I go to the bank and I ask to open up a business account and they tell me no, because I need an EIN number to do that. 
and I don't have that yet. So that holds people back. And the EIN number is something that you get when you file, for example, an LLC with your state. So if you don't have an LLC and you don't have that number, it's very easy to be convinced that you have a roadblock there and that you can't move forward. But in reality, it's all about the language. Because when you go to open a business account, they're going to ask for the EIN number. You are perfectly capable of going to the bank and saying, I'd like to open a checking account and use your social security number. You will know that that account is dedicated exclusively to business activity. Mm -hmm. And that is totally okay. Yeah. You know, you brought that, bring that up. And that's exactly what I did as well. Uh, And I actually did it really simply. I think I went to like Capital One online and um, at least when they were online only, it might've been something else (laughs) at the time. And I literally just opened a checking account and things were still being written in my name, not my company's name. So all that money went there and I managed everything out of there and it was very easy and very simple. So that is a great, great point. Yeah. Excellent point. Cause a lot of people I think feel intimidated and there's no need to feel intimidated. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And Part of the reasons why you want to keep them separate, there's a couple of key reasons that would impact you. One is come tax time, if you're working with an accountant or if you're doing it yourself, especially, that is a lot of time and potentially money spent on untangling that knot to go through one set of bank statements for your personal and business, trying to pull out the specific business expenses. It increases the risk that you're going to miss some and therefore not take advantage of the deductions but also it costs more in the accountant's fee because I have gone out publicly and said, I charge roughly twice if you don't have your stuff separated because it will take me significantly more time and energy to go through the bank statements, not really understanding what what, what it was you did this year and having to ask you a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of headaches you can avoid at the end of the year if you just set it up with that structure in place to separate the two and then you have one set of bank statements dedicated exclusively for your business that makes the whole process much easier for you as the business owner and in addition if you ever get audited by the irs which there's a very low likelihood in general of that happening but if you ever get audited one of the first things they do is they ask for bank statements to prove Mm. your business expense deductions. If you were to hand them a set of bank statements that's a mix of business and personal, they would question everything. And if you had, let's say, legitimate business meals at Starbucks, but you also went to Starbucks personally on a regular basis, they would say, well, it's hard to tell what's business and what isn't. We're going to call it all personal. And they're going to claw that back. So Little things like that can add up and it can just cause a huge hassle and make them stick around a bit longer in the audit to ask more questions. I like to say that these few steps up front, which Lisa mentioned, setting it up online is really easy. I also did it over the phone with a small local bank and it took about two phone calls and one scan document of a signature and I was done. Mm -hmm. So it's a really low level of effort up front to set yourself up for success in the long run. All right. So what do we have next? What number are we on? Four? Yeah, number four. So my next one is really not understanding your tax deductions. So what are deductible expenses and strategizing around those? 
Okay. So, so that one's tough, right? Because I think that that gets into, we get into the tax code here and I don't know about you guys, but I am, well, maybe you Shannon, but I am definitely not an expert when it comes to that. I do know some things that I've learned along the way now being in business for a while, having run a couple of law firms as well and learning about that stuff. But if I'm brand new and I'm already daunted from number one, how do I find out what's available to me? Right. So there's tons of resources out there. And this gets into, uh, I'll, I'll connect four and five together, which is hiring the right professional to help you. Right. And that is where it really matters. So it's getting the right advice on what's deductible, understanding what deductible really means, and being able to use that in your strategy and really knowing how it affects your taxes. There's a big myth out there that when we say something is deductible, that you're somehow going to get a rebate from the IRS for it. And that's not the case at all. Mm. So it's really important to understand that deductible, all we mean when we say something is deductible means it's a legitimate expense that your business can claim. So when you make income from your business, let's say you earn $100,000 in 2020 and you had $60,000 of expenses and therefore $40,000 in profit the IRS will tax you on your business income of $40,000. They do the net income. Right. So you have the ability and it's in your control to claim all the expenses you can to get that number reduced so you pay less in taxes. And that's one of the biggest strategies that I tell new entrepreneurs to take advantage of is really identifying and getting all of their expenses in order so they know what they can claim. Because a lot of them are truly deductible, but some folks don't realize it when they start their businesses. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. So can we get a few examples then of right off the top, we talked about meals, but right off the top, I mean, obviously we know we got to go talk to somebody to know exactly for our business, what truly is deductible, but what are some common ones that all entrepreneurs could probably take advantage of? Sure. So the definition for anyone who's looking to assess their own questions is it has to be ordinary and necessary in the course of your business, which is really a vague set of terms to describe it because one could one could think that something's ordinary and necessary, but maybe not in the IRS's eyes. So it's important to, to really narrow it down to, is this something that you're spending because you're in the business that you're in? Or is this something you would have spent even if you didn't have your business? That is a good kind of a a temperature check to ask yourself that question. Is this something I'm only spending because I am in business? So here's some examples of expenses that folks should be claiming if they apply to their unique businesses. And that includes consulting or coaching. A lot of folks are seeking help right now in coaching entrepreneurs, coaching from business coaches, you know, as they're starting their businesses. And those fees are deductible if it's helping you build the business that's earning that income. Uh, It also includes social media advertisements. It includes website. It includes apps and software used to run your business. I mean, in 2020, that's going to include your Zoom subscription if you're meeting with clients over Zoom. Mm -hmm. Um, It's also going to include, like we said, meals. Uh, It's going to include travel, uh, things like that. So it's important to understand what the whole story looks like for your business. And I like to say that sometimes what is deductible also depends on the amount because it has to be a reasonable amount that you would be spending on something like this to not send the wrong message to an auditor. And I I like to say that your tax return is essentially just a story of what your money did over the course of the year. 
That's mm-hmm. all it is. So what story are you telling? And does that look like a story you want to tell? And for example, if I have a client who comes to me and says, I made $20,000 in profit, uh, or excuse me, $20,000 in income, top level income, and they had $18,000 in travel expenses. And let's say they're not in any way related to travel, like their industry. I think this was a personal trainer. Um, I said, okay, that's kind of weird. You know, I had questions. Yeah, I'm skeptical. Yeah. So 18 grand in travel may be normal for someone who works as a consultant and has clients all over the country. For me, looking at this, knowing this was a personal trainer working in a particular state, I thought, where are you going? (laughs) So it turns out that they had a deal they were working out with a client in the other side of the country and had to take multiple trips back and forth with their company. So there was a legitimate reason, but at first glance, when you look at the numbers, it was telling a different story to me and it made me kind of tip my head to the side and go, Hmm, I'd like to know more about this. So think about things like that. And if what you're presenting makes sense for your business and where your money is going. Right. Okay. So I'm hiring the right professional. I know my husband and I have been (laughs) kind of embarrassed to say using this like old white guy that smokes like probably about 10 packs of cigarettes a day and (laughs) has like a Mickey under the desk and like is coughing all day long. And, you know, my, my husband wanted to go and see him because he had heard like, Oh, you know, it's going to be great. And, you know, he works his magic and I have a lot of friends I've gone to see him, but I'm telling you, Shannon, it was like one of the worst experiences sitting in this guy's office. Like I couldn't breathe. He was smoking one cigarette after the next, coughing all over the place. And it, you know, it turned out that he did kind of have some magic up his sleeve, but he since, (laughs) he since then moved to Vegas. So I'm sure he's not listening to this podcast, but, um, but what, do you look for? Like, what should we be looking for? Yeah. So what most folks don't understand, or maybe they don't think about is you absolutely have a choice in who you work with. And it doesn't have to be the guy that your parents used. It doesn't have to be the person down the street. It doesn't have to be a local firm. Even, uh, you know, I do hundred percent virtual services for clients all over the country. It doesn't have to be somebody in your backyard. And, you know, a lot of folks gravitate to the easiest option. Like, let me just find an accountant. But I want folks to to challenge themselves and find the right accountant for them because what you should be looking for is a trusted advisor who understands your business and knows what your goals are for the business so that they can proactively help you. It should not be a relationship where you dread going to their office or dread talking to them. Like it's a dentist appointment or something. It should be something that you look forward to, to strategize with your accountant, looking at them as like your CFO uh, or somebody on the board of directors. This is going to be something that will help level you up and it should be moving you forward. It should not just be a, you know, checkbox that you have to check every year for sure. Yeah. I mean, I feel you on that. I know for me that uh, I haven't really used an accountant. The one time I did try, that man turned me off completely and I was no longer interested. So (laughs) there you go. Yeah. And why is it that they're always really old white guys? (laughs) Well, they're not anymore because we got Shannon on the line. Yeah, we have Shannon. Yeah. Yeah. There's There's a stigma in my profession a little bit that we're like, 
these math nerds like Sheldon Cooper from Big Bang Theory, and we just talk about taxes all day. And we wear, you know, it's, it's older guys with tweed sweaters or something in like a <laughs> 1970s office. And, you know, there are a lot of those, <laughs> but I don't want folks to think that an accountant is that. The, an accountant is, it's a very respectable profession where we have to educate ourselves and we have to be on top of all these changing regulations and tax rules to be able to help our clients. And there are tons of accountants out there who are very, very service oriented, who really have a vested interest in their client's success and not just in finishing a tax return and sending a bill. And one of the biggest things that I would look for in an accountant is somebody who wants to meet with you and has a very approachable and responsive um, attitude. And understanding as well, I think, because I think what helps is that you started out understanding that people are fearful of money and, um, and everything around it. And there's mindset issues as well that go into how people treat money. But if you sort of take a holier than thou approach, it can be quite a turnoff. And money is just so fraught. I mean, the way we use it, the way we get it, the way we earn it, there's so many things that go into it and the way we make decisions around it. So if you're taking a a sort of you know, if you're looking down your nose at someone, that's not going to make you a great person to work with, even if you do know your stuff. You know what I mean? Exactly. And what you have to understand about the profession is a lot of folks who were raised up in the profession over the last 20, 30 years, I'd say like through the 90s and early 2000s, they were valued for the information they had in their head. Yeah. Right. Because they were able to retain so much information. They took the CPA exam on paper based on memory. They know the tax code in and out. They're like walking encyclopedias, right? That was the desired state of a a successful accountant for the longest time. And that has really shifted over into the communication and consulting and interpretation Mm -hmm. side of it. Because a lot of us have resources. I have, you know, the textbook online. It's a great resource. I have cases and I have case studies all around taxes that I can research with. I have an abundance of information through the internet that I can use at my disposal to support whatever I am learning. But, you know, do I know the tax code in and out in my brain? Not all of it. I know a few things that I really need for that come up a lot with my entrepreneurs, But to be honest with you, I know where to find the answers and I know how to explain them. And to me, that is more valuable than just knowing all the information and then speaking in those terms to someone who maybe doesn't understand what the tax code actually says. You have to be able to break it down for them into a simple way that they can apply. Yeah. And I think, too, a lot of people are very vulnerable when it comes to kind of exposing this part of their life. So absolutely. I agree. Yeah. I mean, and if you have, listen, if you have not so great habits or not so great ways of using money or things like that, meaning how you spend, you're worried about being judged <laughs> always. Yeah. Somebody else seeing that and then judging you um, based on that. And none of us like to be judged at all ever. So. Yeah. And I compare it to my, my uh, dual career because I'm also a fitness professional. This is how I started my company was I was working with other fitness professionals who wanted to start their own businesses and realized that I have background in a lot of this stuff I could help them with. And what I realized was that the attitude towards money and the attitude towards fitness are actually very similar. 
because there's a lot of shame. There's a lot of, you know, envy. There's a lot of mixed emotions and a lot of the upbringing comes into play with how we approach these things. Right. And I love to tell my fitness professional clients, if you think about it, that when, you know, clients come to me with questions about money and insecurities around it and things like that, I tell them that is how your clients feel about burpees. Right. That's such a fascinating, fascinating connection. That's great. I, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. And we don't look forward to it, but we know it's good for us and we know we should be doing it. I just, I wish that folks approached money like they do fitness now and saw it as an essential part of life for longevity and for their well-being. Wow, Shannon, this is so much. And um, I really appreciate you sharing all of this really helpful information for, for new entrepreneurs. And we'll definitely have you on again when it comes to when it when we come around to tax season, because I know there's a whole, you know, there's so much involved there as well. So, um, so thank you so much for being here. And I just wanted to ask you before we end for today, you have an online course coming up. Yeah, so I will be launching a self-paced course online for new entrepreneurs. For me, this is that one option you have if, let's say we talked about hiring the right professional. Let's say if you just don't feel like you're ready to hire a professional, you know, on a regular basis yet, and you're not really ready to commit to having an accountant, you know, on a monthly basis, this is a great tool for you as you're starting out. So I'm going to put out an online course. It's self-paced and it comes with membership in a private Facebook group where you can ask me questions on what you're learning. So you'll be able to get a little bit of the implementation in there and to make sense of a lot of these lessons. And they're broken down very, very clearly with very short video clips to give you bite-sized chunks of information that you can use to build up that financial foundation in your new business. Oh, sounds great. So where can people find you, Shannon? Sure. So I'm the most active on Instagram. I am at Shannon K Weinstein on Instagram. I like to post daily tax tips and, uh, you know, mini trainings and things like that. So you can find a lot of content there for new business owners. In addition, you can email me. I'll give you my email, um, to drop into the show notes and, uh, yeah, I'm probably the most active on Instagram and I, uh, you can contact me via email or via DM. I check those all the time. Perfect. Awesome. So Shannon, thank you for being our badass of the week. We got so much out of this and, uh, and uh, we will talk to you again around tax time. You better believe it. <laughs> Perfect. Thanks. Ladies. Thank you so much. That's it for us this week. Remember, you can find anything we referenced in the episode in our show notes on our website, bossybrilliantbadass.com. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate us, and leave a review. It helps us get found. And thank you for listening. There'll be more Bossy, Brilliant, and Badass next week. So until then, be, be a, a badass. badass.